0: You know, everybody's concerned. Everybody has family at home. And everybody's scared, you know. Because she says that they work in lines and they, they're not respecting the six feet law. People are working three feet away from each other, and that's, I'm being generous on that. There's no like gloves given or any face mask protections. And now um, she has a fever really bad up to 100. Pressure on her chest, uh,
1: shortness of breath. We got three, we got four, we got five. Six people have tested positive. Do you have any idea how many positive cases of COVID 19 there are at Patrick Cuddhead? A number, I don't know, but I can tell you it's more than 20. 20? More than 20, yes. I like bacon but it's not an essential food item. Uh, I don't think people should die over bacon.
0: It's hard to process bacon while standing six feet apart. So when COVID-19 started spreading inside a local meat processing plant, workers started spreading the word. They say it wasn't until after the Fox 6 investigators sounded the alarm that the company finally listened. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with my colleague, Brian Polson. Hi,
1: Brian. Hey, good morning, Amanda.
0: We are bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news.
1: We're recording this episode on Thursday morning, April 16th, and sometime in the next few days, we don't know exactly when, the Patrick Cudahy meat processing plant is going to shut down for two weeks for what the company calls, quote, a rigorous deep cleaning and sanitation. That announcement came late Wednesday afternoon, just hours after we filed an open records request with the Cudahy Health Department asking just how many cases of COVID-19 had they tied to the factory?
0: So, Brian, I do want to know what prompted you to file that open records request in the first place. But before we get to that, what did you find out?
1: Well, and I didn't find this out until 30 minutes before news time yesterday. 4.30 Wednesday afternoon, the Cudahy Health Department released a brief statement saying they had identified 28 confirmed cases of COVID-19 among employees of Patrick Cudahy. It's one of Cudahy's largest employers, of course. That's 28 positive cases out of about 1,000 employees. But even more troubling for health officials, that was a big jump from a week earlier when they had identified nine cases. Not that the public knew anything about that. What we do know is that back on March 26th, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union first raised concerns about two employees who'd tested positive. So three weeks ago, it was two. Last week, nine. Now, 28. And that surge is extremely troubling to health officials there, especially when you consider those 28 workers had known close contacts with dozens and dozens of others. So it appears the Cudahy Health Department was leaning strongly on Patrick Cudahy's parent company, Smithfield Foods, to consider a temporary shutdown to try and mitigate what they consider an outbreak. Listen to how... Uh, Cudahy Mayor Tom Pavlik described it. When I talked to him yesterday afternoon, he was referring to a conference call he'd had at 2 p.m. with a Smithfield Foods executive. He briefed me on what they were doing, what their plan was to protect their employees. Um, It addressed our health department concerns about kind of an outbreak within the plant. Um, So they addressed everything that our health department was concerned about. That you know, just easier
0: that they took the action and that we didn't have to come in behind and, you know, you need to shut down your plants. So, Brian, we get complaints frequently from employees who say my company isn't doing enough to protect us during COVID-19. And there's a lot of times not much we can do about that. So what made this situation different?
1: Well, initially, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit reluctant to dive too deeply into this. I I had received, we had received as a newsroom, uh, a tip from a couple of people who said, you need to look at what's going on at Patrick Cudahy. We think there are uh, several people who've come down with COVID-19. The first person I called was someone who identified herself right up front as not being an employee of the facility, not a member of any union related to this, and, and admitted up front that she's an animal activist and doesn't like the company. And I thought, okay, we've got someone who's got an ax to grind. They may be blowing this out of proportion. But I always listen. So I listened, I heard her out, and I said, look, I appreciate your passion for this, but I can't really go with just your word from the outside, especially when you have a motivation. So I need to speak to someone directly. And she referred me to a man named Walter Guerin. Now, Walter Garren also is not on the inside. He used to be, he's a former union representative for the United Food and Commercial Workers Union and former employee of Patrick Cudahy. So for, he says 11 years, he represented the workers there and he says those people are still his family. So he's concerned and a lot of those employees are coming to him, even though he's no longer there, they're coming to him saying, look, people are going home sick. Some people are coming into work sick. The company was paying $500 premium bonuses to people to keep coming in because they were concerned so many employees were going home sick. And they said, we're concerned that we have to choose between our paychecks and our health. And again, I told Mr. Guerin, I appreciate your passion of what you're telling me, but can you prove, can you give me names? Do you have documentation? How do we know there are a number of cases beyond just the couple that we had heard about on, on March 26th? And he said, I'll get you in touch with them. So what Mr. Guerin started doing is referring employees directly to me. And I spoke to five on the phone, three of whom were Spanish speakers who could not speak English, but spoke to me through family members who translated. And some of those were people who themselves were home positive for COVID-19. Others had spouses or family members who were home who had tested positive for COVID-19, and still others had gone home with symptoms but had not received a test because they didn't qualify with enough of the symptoms to receive tests. But all of these were people who were concerned they had either contracted COVID-19 or had a close relative who had, who was an employee there. And they all described uh, circumstances of or, or, or I should say conditions where within the plant, they weren't keeping any sort of six foot distance. And in some ways it's hard to do that in a factory with an assembly line. But they also said they didn't have substantial amounts of things like hand sanitizer or cleansing wipes. They didn't have personal protective equipment available to all the employees. Um, and they just described an overall situation that they felt was not particularly safe. But again, I still didn't have any hard numbers. Once we talked to those five employees and three agreed to be recorded, at least I was speaking to people who were directly a part of the situation and who said they themselves had tested positive. So we did run an initial story uh, this week on Tuesday night describing these conditions. And remember, this is a a company, Smithfield Foods, that has already shut down or prior to, to now had already shut down one plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Because of 80 positive cases. And that was really what I think raised the alarm of the employees here is, if that happened there, is that what's happening here now? And so that gave us enough, at least with those direct contact with the employees, for me to put something on with an initial story.
0: So as you were reporting on this story and then following up after your your initial report, what was the city of Cudahy saying? What was the health department saying?
1: Well, and that's really the question. I, while I was hearing from this former union representative and hearing from these employees, no one was providing me documentation that said this person does or doesn't have it. No one gave me a list of names that I could follow up with and confirm how many people have tested positive. So the the two places I could go were the company itself and the company wasn't answering questions. In fact, they weren't even returning my calls or the Cudahy Health Department. And, and I contacted... Uh, The head of the Cudahy Health Department uh, on Monday and asked, it was either Monday or Tuesday, it was earlier this week, and and, and asked that very question, how many cases are there? Can you tell me what the number is? I didn't get a call back. I got an email back that said, you'll need to speak to uh, Mayor Pavlik About this, So I was referred by the health department to the mayor, I reached out to the mayor and left a message, and I got a call back initially not from the mayor himself, but from a public relations person doing some work on behalf of the city of Cudahy, Annie Schwartz, who's a former PIO for the Milwaukee Police Department, also doing some work now for Cudahy. And that struck me as a little bit unusual, because it's not often you call a small municipality with questions about their government operations and get a call back from an outside public relations person. But that's what happened here. And and as a reporter, that does raise a little bit of an alarm bell. Like, is there something here? Something more important, perhaps, than than we, we knew to begin with. I still didn't know quite how many numbers were there. And maybe this was just, uh, you know, a, a public official who just felt like, I don't have a lot of experience dealing with the media because this is a smaller community and, and maybe someone with more experience would be better to handle it. So I didn't really know what we had, but at that point, I still wasn't getting any answers about how many cases there were or how significant this outbreak was, if there was an outbreak there at all.
0: What happened after that? At that point, you didn't know exactly how serious it was. You had a hard time pinning down the numbers. So where did things go from there?
1: So I, I had reached back out to the uh, uh, director of the health department in Cudahy, Katie Leepak, and and said, "Look, I, is there any way that I can get any kind of numbers on this? You know, the mayor wasn't able to tell me. I, what I was aware of in speaking to the mayor is that he had planned to meet later this week with an executive from Patrick Cudahy. and they were going to discuss this situation and see sort of what next steps there might be. Um, and and uh, but but again, I didn't. I, I had people still calling me going." you know, we can't sit and just wait on this. And and I reached out to the health director and said, is there anything you can say? Can you do an interview? Can you talk about how you track these things? Because one of the questions we had early on was, can they even tell how many cases there are at a particular plant? How is this reported? How is this tracked? And, and initially, we got the indication from the mayor that they may not be able to tell how many there are, there are at least not uh, for certain, because when someone contracts COVID-19, they go to their physician or they go to the hospital and they get tested, it may well be reported to the health department where they live, not where they work. So if you live in Milwaukee, but work in Cudahy, the Cudahy Health Department may not get direct notice. But as as we looked further into this, it turns out they do get this information. They are able to trace this and, and and put these things together. They do get information after some of these interviews are done. And so Cudahy Health Department did have more information than we initially thought. And ultimately, it seemed the only way I was going to be able to get that information was to file a formal open records request and see if the city attorney for the city of Cudahy would deem it uh, something appropriate for them to release. And that is something that I filed on Wednesday morning. Uh, yeah, Wednesday morning.
0: And then a few hours after the request is, of course, when suddenly you started getting information.
1: Yeah, as the day went on, in fact, there were several hours after that request, I hadn't heard much. But as the day went on, I started to get uh, uh, contacts from multiple sources saying, it sounds like Smithfield Foods is going to take some action and there should be a press release coming out this afternoon but I didn't have that on the record from anyone. I had several off-the-record sources telling me this was coming. And in fact, initially what we heard was they were going to start rolling closures of the facility, meaning they were going to close different departments down at different times to cleanse them, but try to continue the overall operation. So I was waiting uh, Wednesday afternoon for some sort of a press release announcing these rolling closures. And then around 4 p.m., our newsroom received the first... Uh, forward of a news release um, from another source and it appeared to be an authentic news release from Smithfield Foods. Uh, Within about 10 minutes, we were able to track down the official news release and in fact, Smithfield Foods had not just announced a rolling closure, they announced a complete closure of the plant here in Cudahy for two weeks and the news release says that they'll be closing quote, later this week. It didn't specify a date and when I followed up and asked exactly when they're going to shut down, they just referred back to that press release. But sometime later this week, my understanding is after they complete the Thursday and Friday shifts, perhaps this weekend they'll they'll begin the shutdown and then that will last for a couple of weeks. I don't really know how that's going to go. And I will tell you, I received a tip this morning from someone who said, They think that the company is just going to be doing the rolling closures, not what they've said in the news release. That's still something I need to follow up on. It may well be that they heard what I had heard earlier before the company made the decision to do the full closure. But there are still some questions about how this is exactly going to play out.
0: And as you've been talking to the company throughout this process, Brian, what has that reaction been like? Because one thing that struck me about that press release was it says there are a small number of cases 28 employees appears to be substantial.
1: And I have a feeling when they issued that press release that Smithfield Foods was not aware the health department was going to be releasing the actual number of cases. I don't know if they were aware we had filed an open records request for that information. In fact, that press release doesn't just discuss the closure of the Cudahy plant. At the same time they announced the closure of the Cudahy plant, Smithfield Foods also announced the closure of a plant in Martin City, which is a a neighborhood of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, That plant is actually a later stage of processing from the South Dakota plant. So the press release talks about the sort of domino effect of closing the South Dakota facility on their industry because you have this other facility that's sort of down the chain that is now shutting down. It appears that they may have at sort of a late hour added in the announcement about Cudahy being closed as well. So they're now closing two additional facilities, three in total. Um, and these two at least for a two-week period of time. But in that news release, what I really seized upon was exactly what you said, the words, a small number of employees. At the bottom of the news release was the name of an executive for Smithfield Foods to contact. So I immediately called and emailed this person, and I got uh, an email back from someone else with the company who uh, thanked me for my questions but said that out of respect for their employees' privacy, they would not confirm cases of COVID-19. And I took that to mean they wouldn't confirm the number of cases because they had already confirmed in the news release that there were cases. Nonetheless, Smithfield Foods won't tell us how many cases there are. And it was about 30 minutes after I got that response that the Cudahy Health Department sent me a brief statement announcing that there were 28 cases. Now, you can decide for yourself if 28 is a small number. It's about if I'm doing the math right, you know, roughly 30 people out of a thousand, it's about 3% of the workforce. Is that a small number? I don't know, but 28 cases after it was nine last week, it sounds like there's been a surge. And certainly that's something the health department had enough concern about that they wanted to see this shutdown happen.
0: And here's my concern with all of this as a journalist, Brian, because we've seen it from government agencies, we've seen it from private companies during this public health emergency it seems like the default is to cite privacy, right? We can't give you the number of positive cases for healthcare facilities or for, in this case, meat processing plant because we want to protect the privacy of our workers. What I don't get is why giving a statistic of how many people tested positive would in any way compromise the privacy of your individual worker's who are not being named.
1: At the risk of jumping from uh, from news reporting to editorial comment, <clears throat> and this is a podcast, so we've got a little more freedom, I will say I think it's an outrageous use of the term privacy. Uh, privacy is about individuals, and I understand if you're talking about a small business that has four employees and four people have tested positive, well, <laughs> then you're identifying individuals. Sure. This is a place with a thousand employees. And to tell us there are 28 cases is something the public ought to know about. Those people go home to uh, Cudahy, they shop in Cudahy stores and grocery stores and so on. So the community ought to know there's an outbreak. And I think the health department uh, has been wanting to say more uh, before yesterday and really not been able to do so. Um, at least that's the impression I got throughout this process. Now, I, I don't know what's gone on behind the scenes and their discussions within the, the city government, but it certainly seems they were concerned enough that they wanted something done here. The question is, did anybody else know about it? When you start talking about outside of Patrick Cudahy, we've had long-term care facilities, questions about, are we being told when a particular facility has a certain number of cases? Again, we're not asking about the identity of individuals. We're asking about where are the outbreaks so we know and we can track them and we can see where the problems are. There's certainly a a great public interest in that, and there's a public health reason for knowing that. The only privacy that seems to be uh, real in consideration is the privacy of the corporations or businesses that don't want their images tarnished by this news getting out. Now, there's my editorial point. Maybe that's it, maybe it's not. But I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding what would be the privacy interest in not saying we have 28 people who've tested positive for this disease when there were just nine last week.
0: And I think it's important to note we're not, we don't seek this information out because we are nosy reporters who just want to know everything because we want to know everything. This is about, as you mentioned, Brian, a health concern for the public. So if you don't know what's happening in your community and where it's happening, it's hard for you to then make informed decisions. And maybe knowing that information won't change anything about your day-to-day life. That's fine. But the idea is that you can't make the decision if you don't have the information. I know when we're talking about long-term care facilities, there's a concern that people will misinterpret those numbers, and maybe the concern is the same for businesses um, like Patrick Cudahy, but that's up to the people to be able to have that information. Anyone can misinterpret anything, but my takeaway from your story with how difficult it was to get some of the basic information is that this isn't just about Patrick Cudahy. this is about knowing what's happening in our own communities.
1: No, and I think that the uh, there are a number of people working in health departments, in municipal health departments, county health departments, uh, all over the state, and probably all over the country, who have this very thought. Their concern is not to you know shed negative light on any individual or business, but information sharing in the case of uh, a pandemic is huge. And and I wanna be clear about something here. And I think maybe the podcast is a good place to do this. And this is no criticism of our own staff, but I, I wanna say, this is not about trying to shut down a facility. Our job here, I don't take any a a pride or joy in a business shutting down its operations. It's, It's economically difficult for that corporation. It could affect the food supply, potentially maybe prices go up at the grocery store. We don't set out to try to shut places down. Our job is to bring transparency and information so that people can make the right decisions for public health, for economics, whatever the reasons may be. We're here to get the truth out and the truth wasn't getting out. Now the truth is out and we see what the result of it is. I bring that up because last night after one of my stories, and I, one of our anchors said, great job getting them shut down and, and, or something to that effect. And, and I cringed at that because that's not what we're here to do. Our job is not to shut places down. And I'll give the example early on in this situation, we, uh, you and I uh, went into saloon on Calhoun, ironically enough, another place known for bacon, um, they were what operating, is it with bacon? I, I don't know. I thought about that last night and I love bacon. Um, uh, they were operating after the governor had ordered the shutdown of bars and restaurants and they bragged about it internally. We're rebels. Welcome everybody who's here. We're all rebels together. Um, and they took a lot of heat for that after that news was broadcast. And I want to point out they, they were shut down later that night or they voluntarily did after a visit from Brookfield police. And I got a lot of people saying, hey, you got them shut down. Look, we didn't go there to shut them down. We went there to observe, and we showed what we observed on the air. The result of that was that police came and the business was shut down. The only person we interviewed in that story was the owner of the bar. And we gave him full say as to why he stayed open and what his viewpoint was on that. Again, our job is to put the viewpoints, the information out there, to bring transparency to these situations and then it's up to others to determine what to do with that information. And that's how what, how I view this here. Whether it's Patrick Cudahy, whether it's a long-term care facility, whether it's any other corporation, we're hearing reports about other factories and other businesses where people are concerned about uh, cases that are being, they think, hidden from the public. In this case, we turned out certainly the public didn't know the full extent of what was going on. I think it's our job to try to get that information out there and let others decide what to do with it.
0: You mentioned this briefly, but I want to expand on it. What kind of effect are we looking at on grocery stores right now? Because there's a reason that plants like Patrick Cudahy are considered critical infrastructure.
1: That's a good question. And I don't know that we know the, the, the fallout. If it's a two-week closure, um, in theory, that wouldn't be necessarily a, a, a an enormous impact. But then again, you know, I, I'm not in the business of, of meat processing and, and getting food out to market. Smithfield President and CEO Kenneth Sullivan, in the news release yesterday, referred to the importance of the critical infrastructure of the food supply and, and what part, role they play in the security of the nation. He he said, "quote I cannot under or understate rather how critical it is for our industry to continue to operate unabated." And I thought the word unabated was interesting because the one thing that seems to be abating their operation at this point is the outbreak of COVID-19. Right. Uh, unless he was suggesting that you know the government pressure to do this uh, is abating their operation. So it, it does raise questions about whether or not they're truly concerned about employees or whether or not they're sort of buckling under the pressure to do something. The, the, the tone of the news release is one of, we need to keep operating because the food supply needs us. And there's some truth to that. I mean, certainly we can't have factories all over the country shut down and stop providing food. So, will this result in higher prices on bacon at the grocery store? It's it's hard to say. I guess we'll we'll see. Um, is this going to cause a shortage of some of those things at the grocery store? It's hard to say. That South Dakota facility, where they had 80 positive cases, it was reported, I believe, last week or earlier in the week, that that plant supplies something like three to five percent of of the, the 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 you know bacon and processed meat in the country. If that's true, that's a dent. And, and will it have an impact? It, it may well have it. The question is balancing those kinds of impacts with the health and safety of, you know, more than a thousand employees. And then, of course, the community members and, and family members they go home to.
0: And what happens to the workers while the plant is shut down?
1: Smithfield Foods made it very clear uh, in their press release, and this was received well by employees, that employees will continue to be paid during the two-week shutdown. And the CEO went one step further in saying, if you're sick, don't come to work, you will be paid. Uh, So suggesting, as I read it, that even when they resume operations, they don't want sick people coming into work out of fear that they're not going to get a paycheck. And I think that's one of the big concerns that was expressed to me by these employees. There are people who are going to work sick because they're afraid they can't pay the bills if they don't. And, And he's, at least in this press release, trying to reassure them, we'll take care of you. Don't come in and make everybody else sick.
0: Well, and in those cases, employees often have very few rights, very few places they can turn. A lot of times, that's why they reach out to us. So I'm glad you took their complaint seriously and you investigated it and you were able to get that information out to the public.
1: And this is, as you said earlier, this is just one of of so many companies across the country that are facing this. This is not an easy time for for anyone. And, and, and I'm sure it's a difficult to decision to decide when do we... Uh, you know, severely curtail our own operations, at what point does it become necessary? And I think in this case, when you see the numbers jumping from two to nine to 28 there, there were certainly some alarm bells going off for health officials. And now it looks like they're going to do uh, what employees have said, or in they are telling me is the right thing. They welcome this. They're gonna shut the place down. They're gonna cleanse it and hopefully get a fresh start uh, and a safer start in a couple of weeks. Of course, we're going to continue bringing more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigatorsatfox6now.com. That's T-H-E Investigators 6 nowcom
0: Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible: producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda Saint-Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back tomorrow.